Well, hey, we're really glad that you are here. My name is Chris, and I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, we're really grateful that you could be here and those that are joining us by live stream. If you, had to, if you have your Bibles or your devices, if you open them up uh, or turn them on to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse, verse 19, we'll get there in just a few moments. Um, one of the things you find in Scripture uh, is the way it portrays both indicative and imperative mood. Uh, the Bible is full of indicative statements. Those things that are, are true, that are factual, that are reality. They're, it's full of that type of, uh, of statement, an indicative statement. But it's also full of imperative commands that tell us something we must do in response You'll see these things throughout the scripture. Like, for example, uh, you don't have to turn here, but Hebrews 4 verse 14 is a clear example of this because it says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. The indicative statement is that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. His name is Jesus, the son of God. But in light of such a truth, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us here is an imperative. And he gives it this way. He says, because this is true, then you hold fast your confession. Because this is true, you hold fast your confession. You'll find this kind of same hinged connection between indicative and imperative throughout the Bible and a lot in the book of Hebrews. And especially at these verses that we're gonna look at this morning, uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The forever truth that we read in these verses is that we now have access to God. We now have access to God through a new and living way provided to us by Jesus. That's new. That was new for them. It was new in history because before Jesus came, the only way to God was through a series of regulations and priestly affairs that allowed for atonement to happen on behalf of God's people, where blood of animals was shed so that the sin that they walked in would not keep them from God being with them. 
But when Jesus came, he provided access to God in a new and living way. Say that with me, new and living way. It's a new way. It's a living way. It's a glorious way. This is a game changer for us. This is the ultimate bracket buster. Had to use that one this weekend. It completely busted everything wide open because the things that had been happening could now be dealt with. And for anyone now who accepts and follows Jesus, they are now forgiven and given new life in him. And their past and their present and their future sins are completely cleansed by his blood. Everything is different. Now, you may have some really dark sin in your past. I know I do. And you probably have certain sins that you're struggling with even right now. Truth is, we all do. And you will no doubt sin in the future because we're all a work in progress. But when you are in Christ in this new and living way, then you stand forgiven. You stand forgiven before God. You are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. He took your sin and put it onto himself and hung on a cross and died once and for all for the sins of all mankind. And to get the benefit of that, if you receive him, then you now stand cleansed by the blood. And on the day when God, and he will judge all of humanity, when he looks at you, he will not see your failure and sin and shortcomings and blunders. What he will see when he looks at you is the finished work of Christ. Praise God. You can clap for that. Let's go ahead and clap for that. Thank you, David. So, that is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. He is giving us an indicative statement that we now have access to God through a new and living way. Through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But, He's describing this incredibly rich indicative type theology where we have this new and way, but he doesn't just leave it there. As I've mentioned to you, it's connected, it's hinged to imperatives, those things that are commands for us that we are to walk into because of the truth of what he has done. And he breaks this down in these verses that we've already read into three very distinct imperatives or commands, not just requests, but commands for those who have received the benefit of this gift of free salvation, you now must walk in it. And so verse 22 that we've already read says this, it's the first of these three imperatives. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. Wow, think about that. Let us 
Because of all this and that is true, now let us draw near. Now, you know, with all that Jesus has done for us, you'd think that the first command was, now you go do some stuff for me. That, that's what you'd think, Jesus, I've done all this for you. It's time for you to prove your worthiness. Prove that you are a good return on my investment. So go do something for me. But that's not what the command is. That's not what the imperative is. The imperative, instead of that, is to come near. To come near. Come, come to me. Come home. To draw near and to keep drawing near regularly to the one who loved us so much that he died for us. This is marvelous to me because it means that in spite of our condition when he died for us, the condition he finds us when we're being drawn to him, he's not repelled by us. He's not disgusted by us. He doesn't look at us and shake his head and begin to just try to get away. What he says to us in our broken, sinful state and wherever we find ourselves is, come to me. Come on, come to me. You see, I think we need this reminder over and over again because we can so easily slip back to trying to earn our own way. We try to earn it, we, we try to prove it but that only diminishes the power of the gospel and it pushes us into the, into the shadows of human effort. And that place is not a good place. When we go there, it's a misguided notion that makes us think somehow now that we've gotten in on it, we have to somehow prove that it's worthy to keep us in it. But that's never where we should be. He says, draw near, come near to me. The only way that we get on what God has done is to receive. It's only because of what he's done that we can walk in this new and living way. And because he has done so much, the most vital thing we can do is get close to him, is draw near with a true heart, with, with the full assurance of faith that what he did has provided this new and living way for us. Where our hearts are now cleansed, he said, sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. And where we actually have no more need of this evil conscience we've been carrying around, this guilt and shame. We can rid ourselves of it. We've been cleansed of it because we have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus and we have walked into these waters where we are baptized into new life. That's what he's saying. Because this is true, you draw near. There's a second imperative. We find it in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You know, uh, that phrase, without wavering, that part kind of seems a little daunting to me. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if it does to anybody else, without wavering. I mean, I know how um, much I lack steadfastness in my walk with the Lord. And he's saying, hold fast your confession without wavering. The confession of your hope without wavering. And the reality is this. The only way that that is possible 
is the, is the way that he adds this four, five-letter phrase onto the end. For he who promised is faithful. That's the only way that we can maintain this confession of hope without wavering because he promised it and because he's faithful in it. That's what makes me steadfast, not my own ability like Pete was talking with us today and reading those scriptures that so vividly portrays it. We keep our eyes fixed on him for he who is promised is faithful. And because he promised, and because he's faithful, then my confession can be without wavering. There's one more imperative we find in this scripture. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, you might have thought when we, when we talked about the first one, the, the first imperative, the first command to draw near to Jesus, that a monastic life was in your future. <laughs> that you were gonna get to just uh, steal away to some nice secluded place where solitude would be your guide and where you could be alone, just me and Jesus and nobody else. But that's not the whole picture of what's painted for us in this new and living way. There is the element in which we are called to draw near to him. Practicing his presence is vital to this walk. Being with him continually is vital and impossible. And we also are told to hold fast our confession without wavering. But we are also commanded to turn and look at the others that are around us to look at the brothers and sisters in Christ that God has called us into community with and to stir each other up towards love and good works. Jesus, he said this to his disciples. He said, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And even greater works than these will he do. Such works, such good works are found throughout scripture, all throughout the New Testament. Like when Paul said to the Corinthian church, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And then when he said to the Ephesian church, for you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And he said to the church, the Colossian church, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Good works are the evidence of true discipleship. Now here's where we go awry. And you've heard me say this multiple times, but it bears repeating because as my good friend Robert Grant says, there is no horse so dead that it cannot withstand one more beating. And so I'll say it again. Good works are the result of salvation. They're not what earns us salvation. We were made for good works, not to earn our way into the kingdom, but because we are already in the kingdom. 
good works are the result of our salvation. We have to see this imperative given to us that it's not only our job to draw near to Jesus and to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who is faithful is, is he who has promised is faithful, but also we are called to turn and stir one another up in a good way. I watch my, I watch my grandkids sometimes stir each other up. That's not the kind of stirring I'm talking about. I see certain brothers and cousins liking to antagonize and stir them up and get them all riled up. But this is not the stirring that we're speaking of. This stirring is stirring you to start activating what God has put in your life, the love and the good works he's called you into. We have to have a vigorous commitment to stirring one another up. Which leads me to kind of the final thing that this verse says, which I have to just admit is a bit of an awkward uh, moment for me. Uh, there are really only a few couples, uh, excuse me, a few topics that I, I find precarious to talk about. Tithing is one and showing up is two. That's why I normally don't talk about them. I let Curtis talk about them. <laughs> Figure he can take all the heat. The Bible, however, says it right here, and I can't sidestep it, and that's one of the reasons why I like preaching through segments of the Bible, because when it says it, I can't get away with not speaking about it. We have to address it. So we have to just look at this. The author of the book of Hebrews, he writes to us. He says, stir one another up to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That, that day is capital D day. I think that's a very important day that is yet to be seen. This is a touchy subject because sometimes it's just easier not to meet. Uh, especially during the last two years of COVID and quarantines and social distancing. Uh, can I admit to you that I kind of liked online church? Um, I got to do it at home without any of you. <laughs> well, my wife was there, but I like her. <laughs> Thank you. We like each other. That was fun. Leisurely kind of getting up, you know, having coffee, you know, and then all of a sudden about 9.45, turning on the computer, making my house look really nice and pristine, you know, turning the lights on. I could turn on my camera and bring you a word. And I trust, and many of you did, turned on your computer and, and watched what I had to say. And then when it was over, I could turn off the camera and I not have to be with you. It makes me sound like I don't really like you, and that's not true. But you know what I'm talking about. Um, I got to turn off my camera and just sit down and relax, and I didn't have to drive home. I was already home. It's a piece of cake. This is great. It was so easy. for it, There was so very little required of me, and I was the one preaching the word. So imagine how easy it was for you. You got to just sit there and do it in your pajamas. 
I know you did. My mom told me. But if we take this verse, this passage seriously, we have to admit that our steps of mitigating a pandemic have also cost us in varying degrees of discouragement. I'm not saying this because I need people to show up here on Sundays or to show up to small groups during the week. But this verse indicates that showing up is necessary. If we're going to receive the encouragement that we all so desperately need. And that responsibility doesn't just rest on one or two or a set of leaders. That responsibility to stir up among each of us love and good works is all our responsibility. It's a y'all responsibility, like I said last week. It's you all. Stir up one another with love and good works. As a spiritual family, we need to see that meeting together is critical. And maybe we're beginning to realize that more so than we ever knew before. Knew before. Meeting together is critical. It's the soil where our relationships grow. I think a lot of Christians, I've said this before, feel like potted plants. Instead of being grafted into a plant, into the vine, we feel like we've just been potted into a small basin of soil and we can just kind of move it around or leave it at home if we want to. But you can't do that if you're planted with a group of people that God has called you to be a part of because it's in that place that you find your food, your nourishment, and your encouragement to go on. Without our meeting together, relationships don't grow. They are stunted. And without it, we grow isolated and we can get alone in our thoughts. And that's not always healthy. And we can dry up and we can become brittle. And some of us can even become cynical in the process. And while our meeting together can certainly be habitual, it can be like a habit, so can not meeting together. That's a habit we can all fall into as well. And as the old adage says, you get something, you get out of something what you put into it. To the degree that you put something in is the degree to which you're going to get it out. In fact, you'll actually get out even more if you you look at scriptural concepts here. You see, if each of us sees that we are responsible to add encouragement to the body then we will also in that place find encouragement because you can't outgive God. And the Bible says, give and it will be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together and running over. If you want encouragement, look for a place to give encouragement. If you want community, look for a place to go give community. If you want hope and strength, and relationships, and knowing people, then start doing it with people that are around you. As we give encouragement, we're going to find encouragement. That's the way it works. And please, hear me when I say, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, if you have stayed back, and you don't know how to re-engage, and you don't know how to take that step because it's been so long 
may I encourage you to hear the spirit and the bride say, come. Come. Draw near. Come to a place where you can find encouragement as you give encouragement. And may you not feel condemned or judged or sidelined, but may you have full confidence that you can boldly draw near to Jesus, holding fast to your confession and also meeting with your brothers and sisters to what? Stir each other up towards love and good works. Let me just say this lastly. If there are reasons that you need to stay removed for a while longer, you're still a part of this family. And that doesn't change until you decide it changes. And I pray for everyone in our church every day. I have a list that I pray over and I pray for you that God will give you what you need and cause you to grow and thrive in him. But if you're in that situation where you cannot meet together in these days, then I encourage you to stay connected. And I'm speaking to those that may be watching online or those that may have just drifted in by accident. Whatever it does, whatever it takes for you to stay connected, it's worth it. Stay connected. If it means wearing a mask, then do and show up. If it means FaceTiming somebody or calling them and not waiting for them to call you, then do it. If it means meeting someone at an outdoor cafe so that you don't have to worry about indoor stuff, then do it. But stay connected with the body. We need each other. We need to stir each other up towards love and good works. And there is no judgment and there is no condemnation, but there is an imperative. There is a command that we must look for ways to encourage one another, stirring one another up and believing God for these days. So there you have it. The indicative that we are now in God. We have access to him and we have a new and living way that he has provided. And also challenges to us, imperatives, commands for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who have, have access to God through this new and living way. And those challenges are to respond to that truth by drawing near to Jesus because there's probably new things we need to hear and learn and be healed of. And also holding fast without wavering the confession of our hope for he who promised is faithful. And finally, let us consider, especially in these days, how to stir up one another towards love and good works and not neglecting the meeting together as some have a habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. My wife is going to come and share with you a few moments of her perspective, and then we will take a few moments to pray for us as a community.
I'm going to read a portion of something from a very old devotional, and I can't even give you the name of it, but (laughs) these are not my words. If you are one of those who have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, chosen in him before the foundation of the world, made holy and without blame before the God our Father, and of our Lord Jesus Christ in love, predestined to the adoption of children, made accepted in the beloved one, redeemed and forgiven according to the riches of his grace, we must give him our full attention and bend our lives to his will, because he treats us not as servants, but as friends, and chooses to let us in to what moves his heart. It is as though he said to us, I have forgiven you and set you free from all anxiety about your sins. I've redeemed you from the power of the great enemy. And now I want you to enter into my thoughts. I want to unfold to you my purpose for the glory and joy of my son. And according to this purpose, I have given you a part. You are necessary to carry it out. So I have taken you up according to the riches of my grace, setting you free to contemplate the mystery of my will. I have given you the capacity of understanding and enjoying my all through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is so exceedingly abundantly above all that we could have asked or thought that if we see his purpose in this plan, in these imperatives and indicatives that Chris has shared with us this morning. If we see this with the eyes of our heart, the full glory of it will destroy our indifference. We will seek to understand with all the saints the amazing joy of his plan. The sacrifices will seem so worth it the hard things will seem so doable. We will labor in prayer and word that the truth of these things may not remain a dead letter in us, but become alive, alive with him. That's how we spur one another on. Living in him gives us what we need in order to reach a handout, in order to be an encouragement. Not that we would be an example, but that our lives would show that he is the example. That's That's my prayer for us this morning. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for us and these matters. Uh, And then when we finish praying, we're going to sing a song. And the song is a chance for you to... Listen to what God is saying to you because he's here speaking. And so listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and and be open to responding to him. And you don't have to do it um, in a way that you think is acceptable to others. You just have to obey what the Spirit is saying. And so as we sing that song, the Lord may speak to you and cause you to want to be prayed for by someone. We'll have leaders here at the front that can do that. 
We'll conclude even after we dismiss. And if you want to come up and have people pray with you, we can do that. You may know someone here that has become a friend, has become an acquaintance. You could go to them directly and say, hey, I, I sense something going on in my heart. And would you pray for me? We're all here to, to spur one another on, to stir each other up towards love and good works. But whatever it is that the Spirit of God would say to you, my encouragement to you is respond to him. Respond the very best way you can. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a clear vision of the lengths that you have gone to to bring us in to your presence. Not so that we would be lost there, but that we would be found there, that we could be sent, that we would say, here we are, send us. We've been translated into your kingdom of light, and we want to live lives that, that point to you, that speak of your goodness, that tell of your greatness. Mm-hmm. We do want to spur one another on. We want to be encouraging. We want to be faith-filled for one another. Yes, Lord, we do. We want to be light and salt, Lord. And it starts with being near to you. And so we present ourselves this morning before you, fully transparent for you to touch, to move, to adjust, to clean out, to lift up, whatever Whatever suits your purpose, Father, have your way in us today that we could move from this place and accomplish your will. Yes, Lord. May your kingdom come to bear in us that we could bear fruit in keeping with a life of repentance. Yes, Lord. We're thankful to you, Jesus, for providing us a new and living way into the family of God, into God's presence, into his activity in our hearts, into his reformation of our lives. We're grateful, Lord, that with that comes ways that we can respond to you, that we can draw near, draw near to the very one who died for us. And where we can hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because you promised, because you're faithful. And we can also stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting the meeting and encouraging and being with one another, but rather encouraging and building up and strengthening one another even more as the day approaches. Lord, I pray for us that are sitting here today and those that are listening, that your spirit will move and remake and even break if necessary, that you might reshape us into useful vessels for your purpose and will. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.